Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Welcome, everybody. Nice to see everybody here. Uh, our guest for the next half an hour or so is uh, someone who's um, in a number of different capacities, has had his name attached to some of the most enduring comedy of the present era. On the hour, Alan Partridge, In the Loop, The Thick of It, and most recently in the ultra-competitive world of American television, in the marvellous uh, Veep. He's been garlanded with honours for all these. But he's here today to talk not about that or his hit film, but about his new book, Hear Me Out, which is a collection of writing about classical music, which may be his first love. Would you please welcome Armando Anucci? Hello. So, Armando, is that a fair point? Is it your first well, love? Well, I think every thing I made is kind of displacement activity for not having really properly learned how to sing or to play because I you know I I feel when I listen to music I feel absolutely connected to it and I have been terribly frustrated that I can't do anything about it other than listen you know uh, I can't uh, well, I've got grade one piano. That's it. So have uh, I, am. <laughs> which I got when not? I was about forty-three. I've got grade one piano. We've all yeah. got we've grade one. Three, got grade one. Hey, yeah. let's jam! Come on, <laughs> <laughs> uh, jazz chopsticks! Come on, um, <laughs> that's about it. And uh, and so I've just always felt. Uh, that, that everything I'm doing is really because I'm not in music. And I just always feel if I had, you know, life again, I would make sure I was made to go to music lessons and, and do all that, even though obviously when you have them, when you're young, you hate them. But uh, I would be benefiting from them now because I feel... Uh, so what I've done is over the years, I've, I've tried to write about music from the point of view of a listener rather than a practitioner. So Because I kind of feel... 
you know, the way you respond to music, you don't have to have qualifications and expert knowledge and all that. It's almost better not to sometimes. Because well, if, if, so. you, if you are technically accomplished, then you look at it in a kind of technical way and it gets in the, in the, in the way well, yeah, of your, I mean, your emotional response I've been to, to concerts and at the end I've, I've said to someone, yeah, that was fantastic. And, and, and they go, yeah, well, the fingering yes, and the... Kill uh, fine, the 7-8 time. <laughs> and uh, I think he took it a bit fast, actually, in the first move. You know, and, and, you know, I don't want to know all that stuff because it sounds like it just destroys your enjoyment yeah. of the moment, really. So uh, you wish somebody had forced you when you were a child to, you know, learn piano and so forth. Yeah. You've got children of your own then. Yes. Do you force them? I haven't forced them to because <laughs> in the end, you know, it's an unreasonable demand, I think. You know, I've, what I've made sure is that they have the opportunity to take it up uh, and, uh, you know, and that we will support them if they want to take it up. And all of them in various ways have done so. Some, you know, you know, my middle one is not that into music and so finds no point kind of, uh, you know, making him. My eldest is is one of these really, really, I, I hate, I hate them in that they don't <laughs> need lessons. They just instinctively absorb. Oh, really? Because so while I was practising my grade one, he was about 12 practising his violin, never had a piano lesson in his life. And he looked over and he went, no, Dad, it's like this. And then he went, like, you know, and he <laughs> played it. And now he just teaches himself different instruments and, and plays them and sings, That's writes right. his songs and, yeah. and, you know, which is a fantastic gift to have. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that of everyone. Traditionally, uh, on the yeah. word podcast, we, yeah. we we ask people about um, you know what music making uh, equipment was in there or reproduction equipment was yeah. in their house as a child. Can yes. you remember? What I was... don't know the make. I mean, it was a no. tatty old vinyl. It was a yeah. It was an old. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to call it gramophone because that makes me older than I am. But right. it was yeah. It was vinyl, and uh, and I shared a room with my. Uh, I've got two older brothers, so the next brother up. I shared a room with him, and he was into Bowie and Deep Purple and Pink Floyd. Oh, and Lou and Reed, I think. Lou the Reed, The only yes. person you mention, a rock person you mention in your book, is Lou Reed, in, in, in that you can see why he was popular. Yeah. What, what, what was so... Why do you think he was appealing? He was the only person you expressed any real enthusiasm for. Well, no, no, no. I mean, it's... Uh, I suppose in the book, because it's about classical music, yeah. but, you know, it's... Uh, uh, I think he's interesting, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't he? Wasn't he trying to... You know, he was trying to try things out a little bit differently and, you know, explore, see where it goes. It could sound terrible, but that's all part of the yeah, process, yeah. you know. But you as a teenager, this yeah. presumably you as a teenager, yeah. decided, and I think you say in the book, yeah. I decided... A bit like Steve Martin and the Jerk. This music doesn't speak to no, me. No, it, it, it didn't. And it may have been that thing of kicking against, you know, what you've been spoon-fed. So, you know, my brother was playing, you know, Bowie and, and Lurie and all that. My father, who was Neapolitan, was playing very loud Italian opera. And, and I was kind of thinking, what's my sound? And it was just at school, there was a sort of music appreciation class, which was basically... <laughs> the one musical teacher playing some records and you just kind of being left for half an hour. Uh, and he played, he, he, he played Holst's The Planets and uh, so the Mars is the one everyone knows, the famous one. Um, but instantly I thought, that's the noise. That's, the, that's my noise. What was it about that? that it's the, the bigness of it, you know? The, um, maybe it's the, something cin cinematic about it. It's, it's, because it's not an instrument, it's, it's you know, it's, it's 80 instruments. Yeah. Um, and there's something really quite dramatic and captivating about that, I thought, anyway. You know, it wasn't because I can remember remember being played the planets and uh, 
and Copeland's Billy the Kid and so forth. Oh, right, when I was yes. at school. Yeah. Because that was the kind of thing that they tried to interest 12-year-old schoolboys yes. in. Yes. And they yes. told you it's about a war or it's about Yes, it's always going to be about stuff, isn't yes. it? And I but think that's the most off-putting way of getting people into classical music. When you said Copeland's Billy the Kid, inside I was going, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's all that... Um, uh, it's it's not hard. It's a story. Um, this is about a little bot. You know, it's all that. And I think and kids like, you know, kids like complicated stuff. You know, they like games that have got a really good story and about fifteen different levels and the graphics are amazing. And you know, they like the degree of difficulty. They don't like being spoon fed little. They don't be top down to as if the simpletons because they're not. They like complexity. I watched. Um, uh, I'm involved with a, a, a musical charity called Apollo Music, which is they basically go into inner city schools that don't have uh, tremendously elaborate music facilities, and they just try to get uh, the children interested in music. That's about it, really. And what they do is they go in the the class I saw was like a string quartet, and they went in. They said, "Let's just improvise a story." So the kids were shouting out aspects of a story, and it was a ghost story or a horror story. So there was scurrying and but lots of really scratchy, dissonant stuff. And then once they'd come up with a story, they put it all together and played it, and it really felt like an experimental piece of modern classical music. And then they played. Um, uh, uh, a movement from Shostakovich is one of Shostakovich's string quartets, which again, you know, it's 1950s, 1960s uh, Soviet string quartet. Again, there were kind of dramatic but dissonant and complicated things going on and lots of themes and so on. But the kids weren't bothered by it because they'd just come up with something like that 10 minutes earlier. And I thought that was a much better way of saying, you know, music can be complex but that doesn't mean to say it's um it's uh it's exclusive you know that it's too hard because kids like hard stuff so so and yeah. uh, and so yeah. that was a splendid cover wow trying to popularize classical music yeah and that's yeah. how that's how you uh, i couldn't resist this yes is you that Gary glitter there that's no it's not no. <laughs> it can't be um it looks like yeah, no, fallout or soft cell first yeah. first vinyl i ever bought was holster the planets it didn't have that on no no um it was uh, it was the halley orchestra and i bought it i remember buying i bought it in blackpool i was on holiday in blackpool with my mum and my sister and Elvis had just died, I seem to remember. Right. So that place is as where... 1977. Um, but in Woolworths was Holst's the Planet, so I bought it, and it was something like one ninety nine. Yeah. And so you had it on holiday? Uh, yes, so I could play it, but I was really looking forward to it. You didn't take the home. beach and back? Or <laughs> no, 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 no. That would be silly. It gets sand in it and everything. Right. Scratch right. the record. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, okay. So, but most of what you have, uh, mm-hmm. of your listening, yes, uh, came from Glasgow Library, is that the case? Yes, uh, Glasgow. Well, Glasgow is a city and has many libraries. Uh, that's, that's the biggest. That's, one. <laughs> that's the that's the Mitchell Library, yeah, yeah. which is the main sort of uh, le- uh, not a lending library, but it's a big reference library. But yeah, no, a, a new library opened up. I, I lived in a part of Glasgow called Hillhead, and a new library had opened up, and because it was new, it had all the latest facilities and a massive spanking new record collection uh including a very well uh stocked classical music section so this was like a gift you know because i could then try stuff out for free and if i didn't like it i hadn't spent a fortune on it i could just take it back 
think you said Sibelius was your gateway to classical music. Sibelius, and also Mahler. Mahler was, because Mahler writes writes really long symphonies. So at the time when it was vinyl, they came as a double album. And I thought I was just getting an extra because with a ticket, you could get three out. But if you took Mahler out, you had a double album. So you really, you were taking four out. So that was a bit of, I was, I was bucking the system. You know, I was, I was playing it. Yeah. I was playing it. And, and uh, so I kind of got, I think, but actually Mahler appealed because he, he writes these big, very emotional, dramatic, uh, enormously expansive, um, melodramatic kind of symphonies. And, you know, when you're sort of 13, 14, that's, that's the sort of music that appeals, really. It's probably, I think, the... Um, Mahler's music is is the equivalent of a rock opera or something like that. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Or a concept album. You know, I remember. So you I remember my brother playing at the same time Rick Wakeman's the 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 Six Wives of Henry VIII, if you remember. And it's that kind of I've got something just as complicated, thematically yeah. kind of a big, big and ambitious. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how yeah. were you deciding what to what to borrow? You were just going there. And I was trying at the everything racks. because that was the joy. Because you know I wasn't paid for it. I could try everything, and so I could take out really experimental stuff and listen to it. And some of which I liked, and other I couldn't really get my head round. I could try, you know, old stuff. I could... And one thing sort of leads to another. You know, you, you get Mahler and then every, then you read that Mahler is often equated with Bruckner. Oh, right, I don't know what Bruckner is, yeah. so let's try yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Bruckner was much influenced by Wagner. OK, let's try Wagner. Wagner, you know, Wagner had a great tussle with Brahms. You know, it was the equivalent of, like... 1950s beach fights yeah. between mods and rockers, the Brahms and the Wagnerites. So, okay, let's let's listen to Brahms. Don't quite get Brahms, so I'll stick with Wagner. Right. You know, there's all that sort of thing. And then you work your way towards the present day and also back the way. I mean, that's the other great thing. It's, like, not confined to one period, you know. It's not like, you know, 80s or 90s. It's, it, you can go right back to 1500 and even earlier if you want, and you can go right up to the 21st century. And what did all the people you were at school with, you were, what, 11, 12, 13 at the time? At the time, what, yeah. What did they think? Uh, they're listening <laughs> to King Crimson. And they're, you know, did they, well, were you no. not kind of being kind of, you know, bullied Especially into listening? Sec- no, no, in secondary school, there were some doing music, uh, m- music, uh, the equivalent of uh, A-levels in, yeah. in Scotland. So, you know, I could talk to them about music, that's fine, um, yeah. but but you're right. It does. You did feel it was like you should just keep it to yourself. Really, it's like a, <laughs> some kind of private kind of addiction that yeah. uh, you know is best kept. You it's know. like being in, in a historical reenactment society. Well, yes, <laughs> which I wasn't. I just want to say I wasn't. You know? <laughs> but it is one of the points that you make yeah. in the book. That you, you did yeah. return to this that the. That you, you've touched upon the fact that uh, nowadays people are kind of expected to conform to liking popular music. Well, yes, they? that is the expectation. It's not the altern- alternative anymore, no, is it? And I, the thing, and I just think it's a great pity that we see classical music like that because you know I mentioned my dad grew up in Naples. Now you go to Naples or any part of Italy, you know they sing opera in the shops. You know it's just part of the kind of the the parlance, the part of the cultural furniture. You know, and when, um, you know, when Beethoven was doing his concerts, they were like, you know, the big events. They were like the O2 events. You know, they, they were like new music, yeah. the latest music. And if you liked it, you got them to play it again. You didn't let them go on to the next bit. You had to play it again. Right. And, and, and there were big events. And it's a shame we've lost that sense of stuff that is written in the classical idiom, as it were, 
but just now we've we've lost that sense of it feeling relevant and and for the masses. Yeah, I mean, do you feel kind of oppressed by the? <laughs> you know, people do say to you, what are you listening to now? No, I, do, I don't feel oppressed by oh, yeah, that because yeah. I reached a point. I just passed an age where I just thought, do you know what? It doesn't really matter anymore. You know, I, I always used to hate it when I can't dance. And I always used to hate it when you go to parties and dancing would start. And I'd have to just slink into the corner and try and find someone interesting to, to talk to. Now I just, and when, now when I'm at parties and people go, come on, and dance, I just go, no. <laughs> no, I'm 53. I don't have to dance. I'm not dancing. But if you put on oh, some Wagner, I might. All, yeah. There's all this kind of like yeah, yeah. they still try and persuade you that actually you're just kidding. Yeah. And come on, yeah. come on. No, I absolutely loathe it. I loathe it. Don't make me do it. Come on. No, you do it because you get a great amount of pleasure out of it. I get no pleasure whatsoever. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> You know, and then I'm asked to leave the party, but uh, you know, <laughs> but at what least you're hoping for. <laughs> yes, I want to talk a bit about the kind of orchestral concert experience. Yes, because yes. you've obviously been to hundreds. Yes. I've been to a small number, and they yes. all strike me as really exotic occasions. Yeah, me, yeah they're bizarre. I, they are bizarre. I, I'm used to rock bands. Yeah, know, suddenly yeah. confronted with this. Yes, I don't they, know what to look at. No, they are bizarre, and you've kind of got to. But I, I actually find them kind of. Dr- I mean, yes, there's the bizarre side, which is. Nobody talks. Nobody, you know, they, they applaud when the um, lead violinist comes in and then they applaud again when the conductor comes in and then everybody starts playing. So there's no connection with the audience, no attempt to kind of prepare you for what you're about to hear. Yeah. So that, obviously, is something that, that desperately needs looking at. But when it plays, when they play, and if you're in an um, auditorium with a, a great acoustic, you, you're... A, you, you're absorbed by the sound but what I've noticed about it is how visually dramatic they can be you know when they're playing a big piece you can see the music moving around you know and that lets you that gives you that visual um, map of how the music is working you know and it makes you remember the music more I find them very very dramatic or on a completely different level if you go to like a chamber concert where it's just like a pianist or something there's something really intimate about you know, hundreds of people staring at one person with just one instrument or a violin or something. And you make and it's really concentrated. I yeah. love all that. And you make a, a fantastic point about how all the individual members of the orchestra have spent years uh, working up that skill to a level yes. of proficiency where they can yes. play like they do, and that the instruments they're playing have taken centuries to evolve yes. Yes. to make the sound that they do. Yes, And absolutely. you found that completely kind of awe-inspiring. And I really yeah. agree. I'd never really thought of that. Yes, there's all that amount of sort of talent and history on stage, which is why it's yeah. frustrating that nobody talks to you about it, yeah. <laughs> either during it or beginning it or the end of it. It's just weird. I, I saw a film not long ago about the Berlin Philharmonic where they were interviewing one of the violinists, and he said, I do not regard myself as a creative artist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a technician, I'm a craftsman, wow. yes. whatever. Yes. I mean, do you think there's anything in that? Whereas, there's an interesting contrast uh, with rock bands, where yes. even the drummer thinks he's, thinks an, he's artist. an artist. Absolutely, yeah. yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. That's mean, isn't it? <laughs> well, he's certainly not a technician, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you, what do you think about that? Do you That's think... interesting. I mean, I think what it is is they have to kind of tell themselves that they are part of a bigger instrument. Do you know what I mean? That the instrument is the orchestra and the player is the conductor. Right. And therefore, they mustn't allow their own playing to kind of take over 
you know, become so prominent and unbalanced that it's drawing attention away from the overall effect that the entire orchestra's playing. What do you think of the conductor? When you go, yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't understand. Do you know whether do you believe in the? Conductor? I still don't know what a conductor does, but but there are certain <laughs> conductors, there are certain conductors whose recordings I will listen to, and I can see that it's by them rather than someone. So it must be that the. I wonder whether the work that the conductor does is really in the rehearsal as they talk them through the piece and 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 explain what it is that they're trying to achieve with the piece and and whatever. Um, I don't know. It's a mystery, really. Because if you get a great orchestra, yeah. you know, a German orchestra or whatever playing yes. Beethoven, they've played it loads of times before. Yes, they so have. So a new conductor coming in isn't really going to change what they play, is he? Well, except he will change the balance and the pacing and, and, and the emotion behind it and, you know, how he might want it to be done at, at certain points dispassionately. He might want it done deliberately or dramatically. I kind of came across this when we were doing the music for the death of Stalin and the, the uh, composer... Chris Willis, who's done the music for Veep, he's classically trained, or he's a film composer, he's classically trained, and what he did was he went back and dug out all the scores of, like, Shostakovich and all the Soviet symphonists, the people who composed music in Moscow in the 1950s, but also did film music for for Soviet films in the 1950s. And, and then he came up with a score for us, which was slightly in that idiom. And we ended up at Galaxy Studios in uh, Belgium, which is this fantastic recording studio that's um, lifted off the ground by springs. It's got springs that separates it from the ground, so there's no, you know, rumble uh, rumble coming in underneath. And um, and an 85-piece orchestra. And, And they were playing away. And I knew at a certain point that we cut to a funeral, I knew I wanted the music to sound a little bit differently... Um, so I spoke to him, and of course I didn't have the technical language at my, uh, you know, at, at, the, at the tip of my tongue or anything. So I had to do a kind of well instead of um, it going, could it do a kind of, uh, and then he went, oh, you want it uh, glissando or something? Yeah. You know, he came yeah, up yeah, with the expression, yeah. and then he did it, and it was exactly what I wanted. Right, and that was the first time that I. Th- I got an inkling of what, what it is that like maybe a conductor, conductor does, yeah. in that they have a kind of interpretation yeah, right. that they want to impart to the orchestra and hopefully then produce live. Yeah. So that's the orchestra. Yeah. And this is what happens when you, when you Google classical... Well, yes. or, uh, classical that's the other thing about classical going to audience. a classical concert is that I tend to be at 53, tend to be the youngest person in the room. Yeah, yeah they're, they're looking but at you <laughs> as if it, it might kick off in a I minute. I know, I know. Here but comes you trouble. You write about the, the, the whole yeah. experience of going to concert really fascinatingly. And it, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a lot of it's just a ritual, really. You know, that, that yeah. there's, um, you, it's, there's no spontaneity. You know exactly what you're going to get. You're yeah. gonna, you know who's going to play it. It even says in the programme, how long each each bit yes. is 11 minutes of this or whatever yes you might so, get an encore you, you might, might get, an, get encore. an encore if you're lucky but is that part of the appeal that kind of comfortting kind of you know, no I, you do, know. I do find concerts I, I love it when they're playing that's the good bit but the whole paraphernalia of, of, of where it is and and sitting in these rows and nobody really discussing what you're about to I find that odd and, and, and I can see why a lot of people are put off by classical music from that kind of that image that it presents, you know, uh, and especially if you know the orchestra come in and uh, dicky bows, and you know, it, it just all looks like another era, another world. You know? So if you were, if you were in charge of Radio Three or whatever, or the, mm. the Proms, yes, if you're a minister for classical music for a yeah. year. What are the things you change? 
Well, I'd want to encourage more people to come. So I'd want to encourage, you know, if you're going to give grants to various orchestras and uh, concert halls, I'd, I'd want them to do more to take music into schools, but also to encourage cheaper seats for, for people to come along. Um, I, I'd, I'd want to encourage more talks and, and ways of looking. I mean, it's, it's going on a bit in London. They do these concerts, late night concerts at the Roundhouse and so on, where they kind of mix it up a bit and uh, they talk through it and, you know, introduce each piece and they try and... And also try and draw in the other traditions because, you know, there is a, there is a crossover with other types of music. It's a crossover improvisation in Bach. Is, is a lot of jazz pianists do Bach because they're based on the same principles of improvisation, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and rhythm and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, you know, I encourage the crossover, but, but not fall into the trap of trying to make, trying to simplify it and say, oh, it's really simple, you won't be uh, troubled by this music, you know, it's safe. Uh, trying to avoid that, really. Do you think there's anything that could be thrown away? <laughs> thrown away? Um, uh, well, like certain composers or... Uh, I've never really got into ballet. Well, I've well, never you, got into ballet. Oh, really? No, yeah. you, I think you talk about... In, the, yeah. I, I, in, in my in terrible ignorance, I wasn't yeah. aware of this at all. You talk about the scherzo in the, in the symphony. Yes. That could be just chucked away because it's... Uh, yeah, it's got a redundant bit of showing off. There's lots of uh, Haydn. Haydn has really good symphonies, but he's, it's his first and his last movements are really good. His middle two are usually deathly dull, the kind of <laughs> plinky-plonky dance, kind of very slow, stately dance, because that's how they arose. That's how, you know, Haydn was the court composer, so I had to compose a new symphony every week for the emperor and for them to then, and, and music to dance to and music to play for the emperor's kind of, uh, or the, uh, his circle and so on um so there's a lot of that going on um and we are quite precious about stuff like that we are precious that we you know it's i remember when classic fm started there was a lot of snobbery about well they're playing music in no longer than 10 minutes i mean how could we possibly how could, you know certain symphonies you need to hear the whole thing before you can appreciate well no you don't really i mean you yes it's great to spend 50 minutes absolutely clear of everything else and concentrate on 50 minutes of complex beautiful music fantastic but you don't have to do that right. really you know it is not it's not a mortal sin he says growing up a catholic not a mortal sin to play just one movement of a I symphony i remember nigel kennedy breaking all sorts i know of traditions. i mean he came i was over at the albert hall 30 years ago and yeah. he came on with an aston villa scarf and i think he had a bottle yeah. of jack daniels by the way right, yes. so he's trying ha- too hard trying whatever a little to bit him. Or, yeah. hey, whatever happened to him yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you know. tell us about your experience of, of taking grade one piano well yeah this is the thing so i did it my wife got me a piano when it for my 40th birthday. I thought, right, I work to deadline, so I've got to I've got to boot lessons on a weekly basis. And it's like that thing with dance as well. Actually, I noticed, <laughs> you know, when you're paying for the lessons yourself, when she says, um, "Have you been practicing?" and you haven't, all you do is go, "No, I haven't." <laughs> and there's nothing she can do. <laughs> you know, whereas if you're a kid, it's like, no, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> um, so that, and then, uh, but again, I've got to work to deadline, so I'll, I'll apply for grade one, and therefore that will force me to try and, you know, get to that stage by that time. And uh, it was just the most bizarre day of my life because I didn't realise that these exams are sat in, in people's houses. 
Um, and you're along with a whole load of small children. Yeah, so I was in someone's eight. back kitchen. I was yeah. in someone's back kitchen with lots of six-year-olds, <laughs> yeah. all sitting well, on these brilliant. very, very low <laughs> plastic blue and yellow chairs that six-year-olds sit on, like that, just sitting there with your book and your. <laughs> and there was a sort of a toy keyboard there for you to practice to warm up on. It was yeah. pointless, and. Um, <laughs> Meanwhile, you're hearing next door some amazing Chopin mazurka being played. And then at the end of it, you know, a four-year-old walks out. Comes out with a lollipop. (laughs) And then the the invigilator, the examiner, came out and said to me, are you the candidate? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, good for you. (laughs) And, uh, And brought me in. And I thought, oh, this will be fine, because she's very... But she was being inspected herself. There was an inspector of the inspector. Oh, so she actually had to be absolutely... Yeah. Not show any kind of um, uh, humanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing was, you see, my piano is one of those digital pianos. It makes a piano sound when you turn it on to piano. But it can make an organ sound or a harpsichord sound or a train sound if you turn up. <laughs> so... But it, all the keys on it are very light. But suddenly I was in this room with a massive fuck-off grand piano with very heavy keys, which I had never practised. It's a completely different yeah. instrument. It, I might as well have picked up a trombone, really, <laughs> for all the... I just, I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. I don't know how to play this. It's like I'm not putting the right pressure on... So I kind of plodded through it, and it was just awful. And I was sort of laughing at how terrible this was. But she couldn't say anything because she was being inspected by... Did you fail? No, I passed by one. (laughs) (laughs) And I I do think I probably didn't deserve it. I I think it was out of pity, really. So you didn't go for grade two? Not yet, no. (laughs) No, but I must do. I must do. But I I did enjoy the experience of, for the first time, learning how to read music and hearing it and seeing how just a few simple um, marks on the page can make a a beautiful noise you know it doesn't have to be extremely complicated on the page what that's what i liked discovering with some of the best composers the, the simplicity as well actually david and yeah. i were talking about whether or not you could as a classical music fan you, you can have fantasies about wanting to be you know you, you, about, about wanting to be classical musicians particular musicians yes. in the same way as people you know fantasize about being particular rock stars yes yeah, so i don't Did do you ever wake up in the morning and think, what, what is daniel barenboim doing now you i know, do like, air conducting i do that oh yeah right oh, you con- do air guitar not, do, you have, yeah. do you have a baton or is it yeah, no it's just, it's a, just yeah. completely i mean I, I mean in my head i have a baton right but, uh, in in reality I don't. I just have my hand. Uh, <laughs> but they're playing very well. Right, very right. Well. And did, yeah. can you sustain that through a symphony? Or? No. Right, no, so it'd just no. be a... That's the other thing that annoys me at concerts, is when you go to concerts, you occasionally get people who've brought the score with yeah, them. Yeah, oh, you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, they, and, and they're reading the score while the music is playing and, and, and sort of conducting yeah. it as well. That really annoys me. But... Just going back to Glasgow, I remember at the Hillhead Library, they did have copies of scores there. And that was really fascinating, being able to take a score out and follow the music uh, yeah. while, while seeing it written down. I, I, loved, I loved that. You, yeah. now you, you, you work most of your time sitting writing yes. for a great deal of your time. Yes. And you, you, you have to have music in the background. I do. I yeah. always have music on, yeah. Right. And that, that you say that very often is Bach. To start with, start the day is usually back. Then it changes. You know, I usually go to something loud and some fun. It depends, kind of, 
time of day and kind of mood, really. But usually Bach is a good way to start the day. What does yeah. that do to you? Do because you know? it's sort of, it's a sort of like a waking up because Bach is very still and, and yet not still. He, 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 you know, he's very rhythmical and re- re- he repeats but varies as he repeats. So it's a, it's a kind of a waking up. So it's a kind of, it's, it's, it's coming out of the silence and into kind of expression, really. And so by the end, it's like fast and furious. And you're ready for the day, right? Um, not all every piece of back is like that, but but uh, you know if you wanted to be uh, kind of generalise him, I, I feel he's like that, right? So you do use it as background. You, you... Oh yes, quite happily. You see, other purists would say that's terrible and a terrible affront. You know, would you have a would you have a dance company in your office? Well, you no, of course not. So why? How yeah, dare you yeah. have musicians playing? Yeah. You know, but I, I think that's well, that's that's how we work, and and for some reason I prefer that than silence, actually. But that's interesting because a lot of people listen to classical music as a kind of activity rather than a, a, a passive activity. Yes. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, yes. and uh, you know, and take it very, very seriously. And it's, it's headphones on, it's a glass Absolutely, of red wine, yeah. it's a single candle. And that's great. And I hours. do that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it doesn't mean to say that's the only way you can, yeah. you can, you know, it's the same with any kind of music. Yeah. Depends the kind of mood. Yeah, it's great to have as background while you're chatting and eating. Yeah. Other times you want to just sit and listen to it and not be bothered by anyone else and anything else. Yeah. What are the points you make? in the book is that is that music has a lot in common with comedy yes i find that yeah how do you, do you how does that work you know comedy is all about rhythm and and the pacing and you know if you're writing like a sitcom it's you know it's two or three different storylines all um uh intertwining with each other and then you know recalling you know you might plant some information at the beginning that you then forget about and then you you the moment it's recalled at the end is the big funny moment just as you've forgotten about it you know uh, you know, they open the door and there's that thing that you'd forgotten about and it just comes at just the exact right time and it gets the laugh and so on. And I, I think there is a musicality to it. And people, you know, you talk to comedians about writing a joke is like, you know, where do you place the funny word? Yeah. Is it at the end or is it yeah. in the middle? And, and just by moving the funny word one or two words along it changes it and suddenly it's not as funny you know or taking a little moment out makes it funnier so in both cases precision is there's a there's a thing about precision and a thing about pattern as well you know because a lot it's delivered yeah a lot of music uh, a lot of comedy is about you know an expectation as well isn't it it's a kind of you know you're told this you're told this and you're told that and then the funny thing happens you know and so there's an expectation that some twist is going to happen at the end and there is that in, in music as well this oh my god there is that music in in music you know it's building up to something you know and i want to ask you to read something oh man okay and um, if i can find it it's a fantastic chapter it's yeah. so funny about the, the the whole business of going to uh, going to an the opera. Opera. opera yeah right. there you are it's absolutely it's called a life at the opera and it's really <laughs> it's really it kind of all came to me as i was in the middle of watching a very long opera about how your mind wanders and then you start taking in other things and then what other people are thinking at the same time. And yet every now and then something amazing happens. Right. Uh, It's called A Life at the Opera. Opera is the coming together of music, theatre, design, people and coughing in in the greatest synthesis of art capable of collapsing at the beep of a watch alarm. It is man's highest creation, his most expansive assertion of artistic supremacy over the inferior beasts and birds of nature who, proficient though they might be with sticks and spittle, can't perform tricks as staggeringly complex as mounting a three-act declaration of love from a wooden castle. 
<laughs> Foxes don't sing and leverets are incapable of costume design. <laughs> so they needn't, they needn't bother trying. Armies of termites, though they may impress us with their 20-foot-high mud constructions, haven't a hope in hell of building anything out of wet dirt as architecturally elaborate as a publicly funded opera house with its dazzling honeycomb of boxes and its awesome web of sturdy crush bars. Have I made myself clear, animals? We're better than you. <laughs> so go back to doing what you do best, which is sniffing at bushes. <laughs> Excellent. And so it goes on... <laughs> No, it's, it's a really good piece about opera because he, you know you're constantly being reminded of the absurdity of it. Yes, and then being transported away from the absurdity yes. of it. Can you yes. talk about that? Well, it is. I mean, this, you that's know, particularly that's absurd. ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, opera because it, I think it because it has so many disciplines. You know, it's not just the music; it's the uh, performance, the acting, the directing, the staging, the production design, the costumes. You know. It, it, the lighting there's so many things coming together that you know if you get several of them wrong then it can all fall apart you know the, uh, which is why it's very rare that you go to an opera that is absolutely amazing but when you do go it is absolutely amazing but you know the chances of failure are high because there are so many elements of it that could collapse you know, if all else fails, if it's an opera whose music you like, you can, you know, shut your eyes and enjoy the music. But, you know, to get that experience of that being totally absorbed in the art of opera, it relies on everything. And the closest comparison, I, from my experience, is making a film, because that's, that. you know, I talked about the music. So you've got the cast, the writing, how it's shot, the, the look of it, the, the locations... The, the way it's cut together. Again, it's so many different disciplines all coming to one 90-minute or, as is frequently the case, two hours, 45 minutes <laughs> of, um, you know, of stuff that you hope works, you know. And again, if some aspects of it don't work, you know, it's, it's just that much harder to kind of enjoy all the way through. Yeah. So it's a... Now, you make the point, obviously, that, that opera is not just 19th century yes. and so forth. You, you're very keen on John Adams. Yes, I went to... Um, it was at, I think it was the London Coliseum, yes, the English National Opera. They did a, a, a production of John Adams' Nixon in China, which was his first opera, which he wrote, uh, I think, about 15 years ago or so. And it is, you know, the clues in the title. It's all about Richard Nixon's visit to China. And, and what was amazing, you know, it just sounds funny as a, an idea, but actually it's amazing. The music is fabulous. But I think what he was doing, and he admitted he didn't really like opera. So this was his kind of almost reaction to why he didn't like opera. He was trying to say, no, opera should be about contemporary ideas. It should be about current issues. So let's take a contemporary or a near contemporary, you know, a very recent historic event when he was writing it. Richard Nixon's visit to China and the great coming together of East and West and communism and capitalism and, and all of that. And, um, and he creates this thing that is beautiful and amazing and, um, and actually quite... Um, uh, quite daringly um, in his final act is quite weird, you know, it's quite dreamlike but it does have, you know, Richard Nixon arriving off an aeroplane and you see an aeroplane arriving and <laughs> Richard Nixon coming down the steps and he starts doing a, one of his arias is all about news and it, and it kind of starts news, news, news news, you know, and you think this is bizarre you know, <laughs> it's uh, uh, and it's great and, and then he went on to do um 
the Palestinian... Uh, oh, what's the... The Death of Klinghoffer, um, which was about the whole Palestinian crisis. And it was uh, Klinghoffer, an, an American tourist uh, aboard a, a, a um, cruise ship, kidnapped mm. by, held hostage by Palestinians and then killed. And which, you know, aroused lots of controversy. And then Dr. Atomic about the invention of nuclear weapons. And so, you know, and so on. And, and he's and not you've been, written a libretto for... I've a, written a libretto for... About for cosmetic surgery. Surgery, yes. I, did a, I wrote a libretto for a comic opera, but David Sawyer and um, Opera North in Leeds uh, called Skin Deep. Has that um, been performed? Yes, yeah. Uh, it was Opera North and um, the Royal Danish Opera in Copenhagen. Uh, and, and it was a comic opera about um, plastic surgery, plastic surgery, really, yes. Yeah. You're not afraid to say you don't like Mozart? Well, no, I've had trouble with it. I mean, I do like Mozart, but I find I'm only just beginning to like him, and, and I still have to, you know, because I think as when I go into classical music, I suppose that's the thing everyone said, ah, Mozart, ah. <laughs> and I listen to Mozart, and I think it sounds like, it's the musical equivalent of a chocolate box. It's sort of... <laughs> it sounded like nursery rhymes, you know, and I just couldn't, couldn't see it. Um, and then, Were you put off by the fact there was a child prodigy and some and then, story and the as well? Child prodigy and annoying. Stuff. And the thing about, you know, when you listen to early Mozart, it's like, it's fine. I mean, it's just good that he wrote it when he was that young, but it's not that good. It's just impressive that he was four. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know... You're still on grade yeah. one piano. It's not, yeah. it's not up there with, you know, the, the you know, Tristan and Isolde or something like that. Yeah. However, you know, when you listen to... And it's strange to say late Mozart, because he only died when he was about 34, but the music he was writing in his... When he was 32, 33, I mean, it, it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And actually, you, you, you then think, my God, what could he have written if he'd lived till his 60s and yeah. 70s, really? That's the great, you know, that's, that's the great music that hasn't been written. We were talking a bit earlier about, this is sort of post of a Ken Russell's film about Tchaikovsky years yes. ago. You know, that, that whole business, very often when people want to market classical composers, yes. they, they try to play up this kind of rock star angle, you know. He had yes, a, or try and make it very sexy, you know. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I, does it work? It probably does work, which is why they do it, unfortunately. Yes, it but I just feel you're not going to get that very sexy when you listen to it. You're going to get the piece of music. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, so I don't know why they do it, really. Um, and I, 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 I... And I... I do worry that it, it makes people think that that who who maybe want to get to know classical music it may make them feel that that is classical music and that's it you know that you know and uh, and and I really want people to feel that there's a lot more than that really and that we don't have to lure people in like that all right you know there's a, there's a, an incident that opens your... the opening of the death of stalin this yes. is one of the opening shots why, why did you put that in it's fascinating that because it was it to try and give an idea of the, the level of fear of the dictator yeah it's basically like, describe what happened right it's based on yeah. a true story the way the film opens is um it's radio moscow doing a live uh, broadcast of a mozart piano concerto it's going out on the radio they get a call. It's Stalin. I'm enjoying it. I'd love a recording. I'll send someone to pick a recording up. <laughs> Puts the phone down. Head of Radio Moscow, played by Paddy Considine, turns to his engineer and says, are we recording this? And the guy says, no, it's going out live. And he, went, he goes, oh, shit, right, OK. Uh, because at the time, you know, if you appeared on one of Stalin's lists, yeah. you, you were never seen again. And everyone lived in fear of being on the list. He runs out into the auditorium as people are leaving and say, lock the doors, 
get back in, get them all in. We're going to do this again. We're going to record it. At which point the uh, conductor faints out of just terror and nervousness and knocks himself unconscious. So they then have to scour Moscow in the middle of the night for a conductor to come in at short notice, which they do. And he comes in and he conducts it in his pyjamas and his dressing gown. And this is a true story. It's an absolutely true story. In, in real life, actually, they got through three conductors because the second conductor was drunk. So they had to go out again and get a third conductor. But, you know, I thought if we put that in, people wouldn't believe it. Yeah. But it's, a, it's an absolutely true yeah. story. And the pianist um, then wrote a note because her parents and her brother had been killed by Stalin. She put a note to Stalin just saying what, exactly what she thought of him in the recording, in the vinyl, as it was taken away. Which he to, takes out and reads. Just yes, to reads just before he has a stroke. Really um, yes. So, and, I, and I wanted that as a way in, because it's the way the graphic novel, which the film's based on, opens. But also, I like the idea of the film opening with Mozart and a beautiful concert hall and a gifted pianist and everyone's in their best clothes and it's a lovely old 1950s music uh, auditorium. What could possibly go wrong? That's the, that's the idea. You're almost in a kind of merchant ivory kind of costume drama and then the next 90 minutes is a, a kind of descent from that, you know. So that's how I wanted it. And that was filmed in um, Shoreditch Town Hall with a little bit of trickery. <laughs> Finally, yes. this, is, this is, you know, uh, the classical yeah. music biscuit tin collection, yes. you know. Yes. Oh, is that uh, me there? Is that me? Yeah, I don't know. Me. Yeah. Who's best? Who's best? Well, who have we got? Who's top of the pops? So, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to... see. This Who's is, your favourite? See, Wagner is interesting because uh, this whole question now of, like, can you now watch Usual Suspects because yeah, it's got yeah. Kevin Spacey in it? Are you allowed to watch it? Yes, that's the question with Wagner because he was a rabid anti-Semite. He was a p- pompous racist, I think. Pompous racist, yeah, anti-Semite, yeah. and, of course, Hitler's favourite composer, although, you know, that wasn't Wagner's That's no, not his fault. No. But, but he was an anti-Semite, yeah, yeah. so... There's that, you know, um, and uh, I'm increasingly finding I'm listening more and more to... Is this Stravinsky? Let's say it is. Let's say it is. <laughs> Let's say it is. It's, the it's a custard cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy here, who may or may not be... Yeah, Stravinsky, because he's fascinating. He, he you know, br- bridged quite a lot of the 20th century and, and like, every decade completely changed his... His style. So he did these very romantic ballets to start off with, which got famous. Then he did The Rite of Spring, which was this incredibly violent, aggressive, modernist piece that caused a riot when it was premiered in Paris. Then he went into this sort of neoclassical mode where he was going back and taking music from 200 years previously and trying to model, like, come up with a modern version of it. Then he went into serialism and very experimental. And then in his very last phase, did these very spooky, um, very pared down, but quite haunting pieces. So he, he changed his... He was the David Bowie of the classical world. And yeah, he yeah. reinvented yeah. himself and his image practically every decade. So he's fascinating. So I find, I find him fascinating. So we're saying Stravinsky. Stravinsky. Stravinsky for the moment. OK, yeah. fine. Well, look, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Thank you and, very much. Uh, I enjoyed that. And the, the, you know, the, the, you're a very passionate advocate for, for this... For music of right. all kinds, and it, which comes through in the book, and it, you know, yeah, reading it in the last week made me listen to Bach and pretty much nothing but Bach. Oh right, how did you find week. that? I absolutely adored it. Yeah, it's you great. know, and it, it sounded considerably less technical to me later on in the week than it did at yeah. the beginning of the week. Yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't be. Te- I mean, no. it's, technically, it's you know, it's it's it is very technical, but. Uh, 
you know, when it's played brilliantly, it's, it's beautiful. Well, and uh, so thank you very much for that and for being our guest, Armando Anucci. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And there are copies of uh, Armando's book uh, available directly outside, which you'd be very happy to sign if you'd like to um, avail yourself of Yes, I will sign. And then we're going to have a 15-minute break and we'll be back with Robert Forster. Cheers. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by The Word.